Hello and welcome to the Limerick Community Voices podcast presented by Limerick Public Participation Network. The PPN is a network of community voluntary, social inclusion and environmental organisations working to improve the lives of people in Limerick City and County. Limerick Public Participation Network enables the community to be represented in decision-making processes such as Limerick City and County Council committees and local public consultation processes. We believe that by working together we can better share ideas and information, amplify our voices and help create a better Limerick for all. To find out more and to get involved with the PPN, please visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. This podcast brings you the voices of some of the many great people involved in the PPN. In each episode, we learn a little about each guest, how they got started in the work they are doing, and their thoughts on making a difference in the community. Without further ado, let's join our host, Patrick Fitzgerald, for this episode of the Limerick Community Voices podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PPN podcast. I'm delighted to be here today with Liz Gabbett, and she is the project officer with the Meg Rivers Trust. Welcome. Well, thank you very much and welcome to my humble abode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And so you're with the Meg Rivers Trust? Yes, I started with the Meg Rivers Trust in June 2020 in the height of the COVID. Oh, wow. So you started in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. I might come back to that in a second. But can you tell us a bit about the Meg Rivers Trust? So the Meg Rivers Trust is a river conservation charity. It um, was founded in 2016 and it got its constitution and um, its CRA and CRO um, certs in 2018. And since then, what we've been doing is working with local communities, enhancing their knowledge of the rivers and how we can mine them, because unfortunately, water, water quality is in decline and okay. we need to do something to reverse it. Is it bad? Unfortunately, in Limerick, it's moderate. It's around 50% moderate okay. or poor, and then it, the rest is okay. But because Limerick is such, Limerick can, like, I mean, the Meg rises in Cork, but it actually flows predominantly through Limerick, and there's a little bit of it in Tipperary. But for the most part, Limerick is a low lying county. Okay. Um, we have a lot of agriculture and all the arterial drainage that has gone on in the past, which has really improved the mm. lives of people living in the areas because it made agriculture more productive. But unfortunately, it's it wasn't good for the rivers and isn't good for the rivers. So we have to, water quality has been declining um, in recent years and we want to stall it, reverse it and rehabilitate the rivers. That's really good. And you were, you were mentioning the Meg Trust from Cork to, or the Meg River, sorry. Yeah, the Meg rises in Cork, so near Charleville. Okay. And it flows north to the Shannon estuary, where yeah. it enters the um, Shannon, just um, to the west of Palace Kenry. But all the towns it goes through and all the tributaries it has, it's around seven main tributaries, but it goes through um, Bree, Croom, Adair, um, but then all the tributaries near the Luba, which goes through Kilfinnan and Kilmallock. You have the Camogue, you have the Morning Star, you have the Glashabui, um, you have the Barna Kyle, you have the Clonshire Grena. So it's it's quite a big area. It's around a third of County Limerick that the whole catchment covers. <laughs> the only thing I could think of there was in primary school, we had to learn all the rivers of Ireland and you were naming all the tributaries. And I was like, I've never heard of half of them. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, I remember when I was in primary school, which is a long time ago, but um, you were, it was always drilled into us, what are the, the rivers of Limerick? So, you know, you had the Mulcair, yes. the Meg, the Deal and the Feel. Do you know what they were? Yes, the big ones. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's coming um, back to me. It's yeah, coming back to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things like we do is we try and you know make sure that people know what their local river is. Yeah. And you know how it impacts because all our towns and villages are built on the rivers because that's historically how people got their water supply and where their water waste was dis- um, disposed into. Now that obviously has to stop. Yeah. Uh, but um, the rivers were the highways of of Ireland everywhere everywhere in the world if you had a river that allowed you to transport things that was basically your um how you accelerated civilization and industrialization of an area so yeah. the rivers are hugely important but now nowadays um we like to think of the highway of of nature because you know people talk about the hedgerows mm-hmm. but the rivers are actually the highways of nature as well because that's how um, nature, all the different species, how they travel yes. from one point to another. So they're hugely important and um, they're a massive resource. Well, we just we, But we need to look after them. And I suppose, I'm trying to think now, you were talking about, let's say, 50% you mentioned before about the rivers in terms of, was it quality? Yeah, so when you talk about water quality and you yeah. asked me what was the water quality for um, Limerick and, um, well, the May catchment, um, it's, it's not great. Okay. And when you say 50%, what do you mean by So that? 50% would be considered good okay. or more, but mainly our status is good. We have very few high-status water bodies in County Limerick. And what does that mean? So a high-status water body would be really excellent water quality, okay, great okay. diversity of species, good hydromorphology, yep. so that's the shape of the river, yep. and good chemistry. So we tend, in Ireland, I think we've only got 20 pristine rivers left Really? Maybe, Across yeah, the and maybe 50 or 20 years ago, we had, what, I think we had 500 and we've gone down to 20. In that short space of time. Yeah. Now, people might say, oh, we weren't assessing them like we were in the past, but that's true. But we still have lost a huge amount of our pristine rivers. Mm. And um, there's a big um, Waters Life project um, that's going on. It's actually being coordinated from Limerick. And it's, um, it's looking for ways of how to preserve our high status water bodies because Ireland is very fortunate in the fact that, you know, unlike the rest of Europe, we didn't go through industrialization as early as they did. Yeah. And as a result, we didn't have the decline in water quality like their rivers have. Like if you think of the Thames, the Rhine, you know, all the great Euro- yeah. European rivers, um, Ireland didn't suffer that because we were pr- primarily, you know, agriculture based um, but um, in around 2000, the Water Framework Directive, which is big EU legislation, um, came into force. And basically, we wanted by 2027 is that all water bodies in Europe would achieve at least good or excellent water quality status. That's a high aim, is it? It's a very high aim. And yeah. this is now 2022. Yes. And we have only five years left to do it. Wow. Yeah. So the... You know, when we talk about the Make Rivers Trust, and we're one of around 20 rivers trusts throughout Ireland, north and south. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, there's a lot of environmental, great environmental NGOs. So we're focused on rivers. Yeah. And um, Rivers Trust, we're all independent bodies in ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we have an umbrella, but like we're all independently yeah. constituted. Um, but we all are looking at basically reversing water quality, working with communities um, and individuals say, okay, what can we do to improve water quality? Um, For some people, it's about fish passage. Um, There's a big problem that 
fish and eels and I'm praised, you know, can't get past some With of the crusher is a big one, is it? Arden crusher is huge. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's up to the ESB to remedy that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are very frustrated because it's not happening quick enough. Which is because I think I was. Uh, do you remember they were doing these tours of yeah. Arden Crusher? And we got, I went for one of the tours last year and they showed us the different things that they're trying to do, I suppose, to kind of remedy the. Yeah, well, I, I haven't been on it now in a long time, but before they showed the, the, the salmon pass where the salmon were supposed to go yes. in and get brought yeah. up, things, that's not really working. Okay. And um, the, the thing is, okay, how, like, I mean, when, when Arden Crusher was built, like all the fishermen and the Abbey fishermen who were very famous were yeah. saying, oh, this is going to have a massive impact on the fishery. And it did. Yes. Um, so like in recent years, there's an awful lot of very good people who've been campaigning like, I mean, to say, OK, what can we do to fix the Arden Crusher? And it's not an easy fix. Yeah. Um, but the salmon aren't getting up. Are they not? No. Okay. They might go up the old course of the thing, but then they have to get past Parteen. And yes. there's such few numbers getting past, um, you know, there's, there's like, I mean, there's farm salmon or there's, you know, um, hatchery salmon being brought up, but it's, 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 it's declined the whole time. And are there other factors? Water quality, water quality as well. Okay. And so like salmon are a species, you know, they're migratory. Um, our salmon go up to Greenland yeah. for part of their life cycle. So what go, what's going on out in sea is a big part of, you know, if there's overfishing and they're not getting back. Um, but in our rivers, like salmon, like cold, fresh, very clean water. Okay. That's what they need to yeah. thrive because they come back into the Irish rivers to spawn. And if the conditions aren't good, they're not going to thrive. And their numbers are declining. As a thing with lots of species in nature is there's there's a it's a numbers game yeah um and unfortunately um the meg which used to be a very famous salmon fishery um uh, but it's been in decline and um it's it's tragedy and when i talk to people every salmon has such a hold on people because it's our culture mm. Um, so people want to know they'd love to see the salmon back but at the moment the Meg is close to salmon fishing because the count is below 2000 and there was a slight improvement um, a year or so ago but with the warmer summers um, the water's too warm and you mentioned there why did they need they cold need water. cold clean water that's and interesting yeah. that's okay that's the that's the temperature and um, you know, that's the chemistry yeah. of the water but as well as that um, sedimentation has had a huge impact on our water quality mm -hmm. so the rivers like the Camogue yeah. um, if you look at it like I mean you should be seeing gravel beds in rivers and it's the gravels that the salmon spawn in yeah and um, so do trout, but trout are hardier, they're less fussy yeah. than salmon. But if you don't have clean gravels, because what the sediment will do is it's like if you're putting sand into uh, a glass of water with loads of pebbles, the sediment will go down in between it, sand will go down yes. in between the gaps and the spawning, you know, the, the, the eggs, they'll get smothered or it'll be a huge amount of work in salmon. I've seen them actually, you know, spawning. Yeah. Um, they need to move a huge amount of gravel. And if it's all clogged up with sediment, it's not going to be ideal um, breeding grounds. And for where them. is that sediment coming from? So sediment is coming um, from, it's erosion. Sediment is erosion okay. from the banks or from the land. 
So the thing with arterial drainage and things, what arterial drainage does is it clears the land of the water very quickly, which is great for farming because we don't want to see our fields waterlogged. But with the water running off the fields, it takes sediment with it. I didn't know. And I was speaking to you beforehand and saying how we have a farm on the Camogue. And you're mentioning that because I do want to get into that even aspect around agriculture and things like that in a second. But that's interesting for you to say that because I know that loads of farmers around me and we ourselves would do a lot of drainage like that for a wet field. And we did it at home as well. Yeah. Um, Because if you have waterlogged land, like, I mean, it becomes an anoxic um, environment. Plants don't grow, roots die off. So in Ireland, because we're such a wet country, our thing is getting water off the land. In other countries, yes. it's keeping water on the land. It's the whole irrigation. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, with um, runoff from the land, yeah. which is what our drains are designed to mm-hmm. do, uh, when the water runs off, it takes little sediment particles from the soil. And when it takes the sediment particles from the soil, um, the, if there's fertilizer that hasn't been taken up by the mm-hmm. plant, that's taken with the soil particles. Yeah. And that's a particular phosphate uh, phosphorus problem that we have in them because our soils tend to be a bit heavier compared to the south and east of the country which are very free draining soils it's not to say there isn't free draining parts of limerick there is because ireland is such a varied um country in terms of our soil types but um the sedimentation and it's now been proven that sedimentation actually has a bigger impact on water quality than people were first giving it credit for but um, when you see it in the field, if a lot of anglers will see it, it gives that murky look to the water. Do you know, it's yes. cloudy. Yeah. And um, that's because there's a lot of um, material suspended in the water. And um, when that's there, when eventually it settles out, it'll settle onto the bottom. And if there's been um, gravel beds, they all get clogged up. So when we're looking at drainage, like when we're, like I mean, there's an awful lot of measures that are being suggested what people can do mm-hmm. to you know, stop the problem. Yeah. So buffer zones are one of the big things. So um, now aren't buffer zones already in for farming anyway? We have to keep is a thirty to sixty foot when we're spreading fertilizer when we're spreading slurry. Well, that's a lot, thirty to sixty foot. So um, what depending on your incline of your land going down to a water course. Yeah. So some people have it's a minimum two meters. Yeah. Other areas are five meters, and um, if you've got a steep incline, it could be ten meters or fifteen meters. But the reason for that is to stop the runoff, it's to create a filter zone Yeah. that um, when the water is being carried over the land, the mm-hmm. nutrients are bound up in the water yeah. because they're in a solute and the same with sediment particles. So we want that to drop out of the water as quickly uh, before it hits the rivers and that the water sense. courses. Yeah. So that's the purpose of the buffer zones. And some buffer zones now, they would be fenced off. Um, there's different names like this, riparian zones and buffer zones. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's basically a zone of land between the edge of the river and back a bit that, um, we're, that we're not spreading anything right up to the edge. Because if it's right up to the edge, it's just going to go into the rivers. But that also then makes sense when you were mentioning drainage earlier. And yeah. for, let's say farmers digging drains or things mm. like that, then it would make sense that if you're spreading fertilizer, it doesn't matter then because your drain is going to carry it. Down into the river? Yeah, so you need very well-designed drains. Yeah. And um, everyone's farm is different Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, I mean, different soil types will filter water differently. And soil and water go, go hand in hand. Yeah. 
Um, because when water falls from the sky, it falls down through the soil and it fill that's what it filters it before it goes into the ground water. Okay. So if you think of it is if we have heavier soils, it's not going to filter down so quickly and some of it's going to run off. And if you've got an incline in the field, where is it going sense. to go? Yes. So one of the great things that um, there's a lot of agencies working on water quality, but one of the things that the EPA and the catchments um, team have been doing is creating what are called pit maps, pollution impact point maps, mm-hmm. where um, they've identified where which parts of the countries of the country are more prone to nitrate loss or more phosphate loss. Yep. And then they've also created maps which show the pathways. Now, this is all done from you know, um, LIDAR mapping or satellite imaging. Yeah. So, but most of the farmers themselves then need to truth proof it. Well, they don't need to, but like, I mean, if they were looking at managing it, they would go onto the website, see what their land looks like, see where the pathways and say, okay, is that the way it is? Because it's all great having scientific things, but what it's like on the ground is sometimes different. That's very true, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's why we're always saying, you know, you have to work with the landowners. They know their land best. Mm-hmm. And um, you can see where, where are the practical measures, what they can do, because what's going to happen in less, well, just over a year's time, that if water quality hasn't improved in Ireland, Ireland will lose its derogation um, privilege that it has from the EU at the moment. At the moment, Ireland is the only country in the EU that has derogation. What does that mean? So derogation is the, which allows farmers to stock their land um, to a level that um, is, sorry, I'll go back. At the moment, um, the, you might have to edit this now. Yeah. Um, farmers are only allowed to um, spread so much fertilizer and um, have their yeah that's nitrates about, is it? It's to do with nitrates and phosphates. Okay. And basically, how much fertilizer they can apply yeah. to the land, depending on their stock numbers. Depending on their stock yeah. numbers, all of that comes into it. So at the moment, the levels are set to a certain level. Don't ask me what the figures <laughs> are, but um, Ireland has a derogation that allows us to go above that. That's interesting. But. If our water quality continues to decline nationally, we won't get that derogation anymore. Because a derogation is exactly what the word is. You know, it's an exception to Mm -hmm. the rule. So, um, and the farmers know this. Like, I mean, this has been well communicated. Um, If someone doesn't know it's necessary, they're not choosing to tune into it. That's right. That's very fair. Um, But uh, if that happens in, what, 14 15 months time, mm-hmm. that's going to have a massive impact on um, commercial farming. And because, am I correct in saying, so I think it was either last year's Togus report or the year before Togus report, and they were saying how much fertilizer is getting into the river and how damaging that can be? Yeah, well, nobody wants to, like, I mean, fertilizer getting into the river, like, it's a loss. Yeah. Well, it's a loss for the farmers. It's, it's a, a loss, it's for a loss really, and it's really it? expensive. Like, yeah. it's three times expense, more expensive in 22 compared to 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, nobody wants fertilizer going into the river because it, it's not being used. If you're applying fertilizer or slurry, you want it being taken up by the plants. It's very true. Yeah. So um, the thing is, we need to know how to apply it smart on our land. Make sure that the plants can take it up. So that's knowing what your soil pH is mm-hmm. and um, keeping buffers back, keeping back um, areas from the edge of the watercourses so that it doesn't run in to the rivers. What about animals drinking in the water? 
Because a lot of farmers, on the Camogue anyway, yeah. would allow their animals to wander yeah, that's into not it. Allowed. Is it not? Unless you're extremely extensive. I didn't say that then. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it is not just the Camogue. It's all over the country. Because it's a free water supply, I suppose, for farmers. Yeah, that's why they're using it. Yeah. But unfortunately, animals going into the river. And you might say, oh, just my animals are going in there. So that's not a problem. But it, the problem is, is if everyone thinks like that. And unfortunately, a lot of people think like that. And that has an impact. Yeah. And what the, what the animals going into the river is, is basically a sedimentation path into their water course. Because they're bringing it in with them. They're writing, if you ever look at where the animals go in, the yes. soil is all churned up. It will up. always get, yeah. Yeah, it will, it so will always get rooted up and torn up. And yeah, so that, that soil is very exposed. Yeah. It'll be easily washed away when there's heavy rain. It's usually on an incline because the animals have walked into it. So yeah. there's a slope down in. Um, also, there's no plants growing it. So there's no root par- roots um, holding the soil together. That makes sense. So, um, and then the animals are pooping. That's very true. Water I, I was trying well. to find a nice phrase to say, but pooping <laughs> works, I suppose. That, yeah. that definitely isn't good for the river. No, not and like, I mean, you see, you see it like, I mean, on the Shannon, every river in Ireland, unfortunately, I think, has there's animal access is still there. Yeah. Um, but um, when you have lots of it, it has an impact. And what are the main pollutants? Let's say in the Limerick region anyway for the river. Like, what are the main pollutants? Uh, for we, the river? we we mainly have a phosphate problem, which, which is, is phosphorus. So basically, nitrogen and phosphorus are the two main nutrients that plants need to grow. Mm-hmm. So when we're applying um, fertilizer to our crops, mm-hmm. so they're the yeah. two main constituents of the artificial fertilizers. Because when you buy fertilizer, you get numbers. Let's say sixteen, sixteen, NPK, ten, 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 twenty. Yeah, yeah, ten, ten, twenty. Is phosphorus one of them? Yeah. And then nitrogen is another one. And K is potassium. And K is the other one. Yeah, it's potassium. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying the biggest pollutants in the rivers are phosphorus? In Limerick. In Limerick, yeah. So yeah. phosphorus and... Nitrogen would be a problem in some areas where you have yeah. free draining soils. Yeah. Um, but they're the two main ones. And are they mainly coming from fertilizer? Fertilizer, slurries, slur- I mean phosphate, um, they, you know, they're all going to be part of um, broken down material. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're naturally occurring as well. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you have very heavy soils, um, like, I mean, there is, the nutrients are going to be there, but if you have a lot of runoff from the land and that's going mm-hmm. into the rivers, it's going to make it very hard for the rivers to stay pristine, especially when they've been modified and straightened. And let's say, because I suppose, on the, like I mentioned before, our farm on the Camogue and the Camogue Fishing Society, for instance, and I've often talked to members of them and they've said how, just even over the last 10 years, how brown trout has gone down how yeah. salmon is basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to hear that. Like, it's really sad to hear that our fishing, fish's numbers are just dropping, so. And that's the case on the make, like I was saying, you know, it's, fish numbers have been declining for over 100 years. Yeah. But they've been really accelerated in the past 50 years. And that's a lot to do with what we do as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's really important is that people need to realize we have to work with nature. Um, we, people are innately drawn to nature, but sometimes you need to give yourself time to realize what's around you and how beautiful it is. That's right. And that nature gives us so much more, um, and we take too much from it. And mm-hmm. one of the big problems in Ireland has been the biodiversity loss and biodiversity loss is not just, you know, the birds and plants, it's all of those and what's been lost in our rivers and streams and lakes as well yeah. because there's a huge biodiversity there you talked about you know the salmon and the trout being in decline um i think the trout numbers 
are reasonably okay, but are they as big as they once were? Are they thriving as as they once were? I don't think so. Okay. And also in Limerick, um, we've lost an awful lot of our native greyfish, crayfish to um, crayfish plague, which is a fungus disease that have come in through non-native um, crayfish in Europe. And it's come in and it's wiped out our native white clawed really? crayfish. Yeah. And Ireland is one of the last places in Europe to have white clawed crayfish. Yeah. And a crayfish is like a little lobster, for want of a better word, brown, really small. But it's a really important food for our otters and trout and salmon. That's cool. And where would they be found? You find them in riverbeds. So even like in the Meg, you would find them in the Meg? Well, not anymore, because in the oh, past okay. two years, the crayfish plague has taken over and has wiped them out. That's a pity, isn't it? It's tragic. Yeah. And people, an awful lot of people don't even know that they exist because they're... I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm after learning something really, yeah, really cool. The fishermen will know yeah. because they're walking in rivers and they'll have noticed them. Yeah. Um, and in days gone by, people used to eat them. Now, they're very small. You wouldn't get much of a meal from them. Yeah. But um, they're a major, major food source for our otters and our fish, our trout, like trout are... They're, they're very generalist. They'll eat a lot. Yeah. So um, we used to have, when you have crayfish in a river, like you've got millions. And they're all part of the cycle, uh, the ecosystem of how the river works. And um, you just say they're a keystone species. So what's going to happen now that they're gone? Who, what's going to replace them in the diet of otters? Um, they're a really important part of the whole cycle, the plant cycle and the nutrient cycle and how plants are, and are everything are broken down because the, the bigger things eat smaller things. And, you know, it's all a, it's yeah. a whole pyramid down. But um, how many yeah. otters are around? I don't know, but I have seen them. That's it. And are pine martens like otters? No, uh, otters live in the water. OK, but pine martens don't. No. OK, yeah. Sorry about that. No, you're grand. But they, you know, they both sort of look the same. Otter would be a much bigger... Yeah, because I thought they looked very similar to each other. They? Well, they have, they have the same body shape, but okay. much different size. And um, the other problem that we have in Limerick is mink. Mink are another one, yes. Oh, yeah. And we unfortunately have them. Do they have live in them. water? Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah. Good for killing chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> they're unfor and the problem with... Uh, there's a lot of problems with mink. First of all, like, I mean, they're a non-native species and they are... So they're not native to Ireland? Oh, not at all. No, they, okay. they got out. Somebody released them from a fur farm. Really? And that's how mink came to Ireland? That's how mink got, out, got into the wild in Ireland. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah. But... Um, We've other species now. Pine martin have made a recovery in recent years. Are they an endangered species now? Um, most of our mammals aren't in great shape now. Okay. <laughs> but um, pine martins have improved, and it's funny. Um, do you know the way we have grey squirrels in Ireland, yeah. predominantly in the east of the country, and um, red squirrels are our native squirrels, and grey squirrels are non-native. And the problem with um, grey squirrels is that um, they're bigger. You know, they they were a wedding gift. Uh, yeah, somebody maybe a hundred odd years ago decided to give a pair of grey squirrels as a gift to a couple getting married. That's interesting. Yeah, it's mad. And, and um, that's how they came to Ireland. That's how they came wow. to Ireland. And unfortunately, the grey squirrels got out, had a great time um, and reproducing. And they basically took over um, the area of the red squirrel. Because you mentioned before that they're bigger... They're bigger, they're more robust, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, they outcompeted the great the red squirrel. Now, thankfully, the grey squirrel didn't really spread too far um, west of the Shannon. Okay, 
But and that's where you, you'll find red squirrel. Now, it's not to say that there's absolutely none, but they haven't. But pine martins, um, Joe, they live in trees. I didn't know that. Well, look at the name. Pine martin. That makes sense. <laughs> Completely makes sense. <laughs> so um, when the pine martin, like, I mean, they're a predator. Yeah. Um, and um, the thing with pine martins is they can catch the old grey squirrel because the grey squirrel is a bit too big oh, when it runs okay. onto a branch. Yes. Um, it can't go as far out on the limb because it'll fall off. It's too big. Yeah. So therefore the pine martin can get to it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, whereas the, if the red squirrel is a much lighter, more delicate, more artistic animal. So he can get away. He can get away. Wow. So um, so this is you know, how people have to understand how nature and ecosystems work. They're all interconnected. And everything feeds off each other. I and everything feeds off each other. And yeah. um, that's how they keep each, the populations balanced. Yeah. And every so often there'll be an explosion or there's some disease will come in. But once you have great biodiversity, multitude of species, it'll allow things to recover with time and the whole system won't collapse. But with biodiversity loss, i.e. loss of species, it's like taking bricks out of a wall. And when you take out too many bricks from the wall, the wall will collapse. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening at the with, moment. I suppose, the polluting of rivers with... Yeah, pollution of rivers. So, like, I mean, if you look at our nature, the pollution of rivers basically the species that are dependent on it aren't thriving. Yeah. Um, species like crayfish have been wiped out. Um, well, not a hundred percent wiped out, but they're like I haven't seen a crayfish in the past two years. I saw them the first year I started. Yeah. But um, and they only live in certain rivers, limestone rivers, because they have a hard shell. They need that particular pH and um, to for you know, to go through all the various molds, but um, yeah, they're part of the biodiversity loss that's going on in Ireland, and Ireland is really suffering. We were, you know, we were in a much better place than Europe. I mean, for you know the developed countries of Europe, because yeah. you know they had lost an awful lot of their habitats. Um, but an Ireland was this great reserve. But unfortunately, we, as we, as we humans have expanded, we haven't basically had enough respect for um, the environment and protected it and realized that if we take over the land and change the old land use and don't make space for nature and don't allow habitats, we yeah. lose the species. Can it be fixed? We need to basically make space for nature. Okay. We need to definitely more trees, the right tree in the right place and the right species don't be planting non-native species because the thing with um why our native species are so important is that they have evolved together okay so when you look at um native plant species all our insects and birds have evolved with them so they all have their niche what they eat yeah so if you have a load of introduced species um, <clears throat> are very specialist insects, they won't feed off them and they'll just keep going until they find what they can eat. But if there's nowhere where they eat, they'll die off. That makes sense. So um, that's why native biodiversity is really important. Um, it's how insects and animals and plants, they've evolved together. And yeah. nature is incredibly smart, but... Um, we as humans, and I'm not saying people, you know, you can't you to wipe out humans from the landscape. You don't, but we have to respect it and we have to not make everything so tidy. Nature is not a golf course. <laughs> and I was just thinking of that in the farming terms, I say like yeah. organic farmers yeah. would be more the meadows of hay, as you would think with flowers and things like that, whereas yeah. more 
let's say dairy farmers that are really high dairy farmers, it's all receded grass, it's all green grass, there's no flowers, yeah. there's no... It's monoculture. Yeah. No, but like, I mean, I come from a dairy farming background. So like, I mean, I know, you know, that we are producing food as well. Yeah. So there's a balance to be got. Um, what I would like to see is hedgerows and rivers and, you know, basically repairing zones and not farming the land to within an inch. Now, you mentioned hedgerows there. Yeah. So do you mean the chopping of the hedges? Um, the chopping of the hedges that, you know, I think it's really important that we don't cut our hedges. Are we one of the only countries, in, now my farming knowledge here, so you correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> are we one of the only countries in Europe that uses mulchers? for chopping ditches where without continent they don't use mulchers for mulching the ditch apparently it's really bad for the ditch to mulch it um i don't know actually okay um I it's reading not so, that somewhere well it's, um, i'm not uh, i just don't know yeah. i'd have to look up i'd have to look it up but um i know what you know the advice from the national biodiversity center and also chagas um have advice on hedgerows is that you know you don't cut every year um and when you cut, if you have to cut back a hedge that you don't do it, you don't do a whole hedge in one go, you do yeah. part of it. So basically, if you have to cut back because, let's say, it's encroaching onto a fence or mm -hmm. things like that, like, I mean, it's, we're still, farming is still producing food. That's very true. Yeah. So <clears throat> you have to, you have to be able to do both. Yes. And um, people's livelihoods also depend on it. And I, I mean, I have farmed as well. And I'm. I know that I need feeding that you feed, you're you're making food, you're helping produce food. But um, the thing with hedgerows is like, I mean, it's how you cut it and that you don't cut them down so short um, and um, doing it in, a, in, you know, in cycles um, is, pro is probably the best way to go. And also native species in the hedgerows, you know, that we don't have um, non-native species taking over because again as I said our native um, hedgerows is what produ produces the food and are white torn and black torn native torn yes they are oh that's good that's because that's yeah. the most common one I suppose for farming isn't it but planting white torn and black torn hedges yeah and that's been very promote heavily promoted as well um, but like I me mean, sometimes people have planted planted privet and things like that and you're going okay. um, yeah birds might be able to hide in it but there isn't enough food in it that makes sense yeah, and I think someone said that an oak tree can can basically support up to 800 species. Can they? Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? When you think of everything, all the insects and the fungi and everything, like, I mean, that's, that's why native species is so important. It's yeah. like um, they're, the, the plants, the native plants are, they support way more than we understand yeah. or can get a concept around. And is that what the Meg Rivers Trust then is doing? So what we're doing is we're working mainly in the education side of things. Um, we're working with people where we've got, a citizen, we've got two citizen science projects, one which is kick sampling, mm -hmm. where we're showing people, okay, what are bioindicators? So bioindicators are particular species of insects, uh, macroinvertebrates that live in the water. So mayfly and um, stonefly and caddisfly. And certain species are very sensitive to pollution. And if they're present, it means the water is clean. And if they're absent, it means the water is not in good that's condition. That's cool. Yeah. So it's, and that's actually the cornerstone of the Water Framework Directive in terms of assessing water so quality. So looking at the river and checking, that's what I'm going to be doing this evening. I'm going to go down looking for these flies. Yeah. <laughs> so um, all those flies are what fish feed off of. Okay. And um, so we have a kick sampling, I looking for the presence or absence of, the, of those. And would you do a lot of that then around Limerick or we, just for the May? Well, we've 
we've been concentrating on the make. The problem is, like, I mean, there's way too much work. <laughs> that's right, yeah, for all of the, yeah. Yeah, for sense. all things. But, like, but there's other people doing it as well. And, you know, we're heavily supported by um, the local authority water program um, and the Department of Housing, mm-hmm. Government and um, Heritage. Um, and LawPro are doing an awful lot of this work in going out and demonstrating to communities how they can assess themselves yeah um and so that's one project is the cake sampling and as i said that's using the presence or absence mm-hmm. of um pollution sensitive species to tell how the water is um the other one we're doing is a cake is a, sorry is a freshwater watch which is a very simple chemistry test for um, nitrates and phosphates and this weekend just gone we had the all ireland freshwater watch water blitz okay and um i've been helping the deal um project there's a couple of people who would love to see a rivers trust on the deal but we need to see okay what's the local interest you can't just plonk a rivers trust on an area it has to come from the community do they want it because it has to be kept going (laughs) and that's actually an interesting question itself do you find good uptake you're with the meg rivers trust you're watching the meg do you find good uptake in the community wanting to look after the meg People are interested in nature. They definitely would like to, to take care of the rivers. Yeah. But it's just how they do it. What can they do? And um, it takes a bit of time. Um, what I, I mean, I would work with a lot of tidy towns. When I you know, contact a tidy towns group and say, OK, can I do a talk here? They're always very enthusiastic. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah. So we were this for Heritage Week now. I was out with um, Hospital Tidy Town and we also went to Charleville tidy town and we did a demonstration showing them okay what's their look where's their local river mm-hmm. um what can you find there what state is it in and um there was a great response Re- people are people are interested and can i ask a question that if somebody sees some pollutants or thinks that the river mightn't be as good as what it should be is there people they can contact well it's the county council so they would contact the county council and they would say look i'm after seeing this here or i think this might be a concern yeah, the, people should report to the county council. Sometimes people would say to us, but to be honest, um, we we generally don't report. We try and help. If we see something, we try and maybe approach the person where, where mm-hmm. the problem is um, because we have to be very careful as well that um, we're a charity. We have no, right. author- we have no authority. Yeah. Um, so we really are the carrot in the situation. Yeah. And Liz... It sounds like you have a lot of passion in it. Yes, I do. There sounds like there's a lot of, and it feels like that even like I've been on this history documentary for the last <laughs> while listening to all about the different things and learning so much. Yeah. Um, I think you have to believe in what you're trying to pass on to people. It sounds like you definitely believe in what you're. Yeah, um, I do. I, I want people to care. And for me, like, I mean, I'm a zoologist by my first degree. Are you? Yeah. Because I was going to ask you that, like, what brought you into this? Yeah. Well, I, I grew up on a dairy farm just out, outside the city. Yeah. And I've got four sisters. And um, from both my parents and, you know, my grandmother, I, my mom comes from Mitchestown in Cork. Like, yeah. I mean, my memories are of going down to the river and, you know, with a very rudimentary fishing rod and yeah. thing. And, of course, we never caught anything, but we had great crack. <laughs> Um, but my, one of my sisters is a botanist and I studied zoology. That's interesting. Isn't it? So, yeah, so we, um, we, we, we love nature and yeah. we being outside and watching the changes over the seasons. If you take time to observe and watch, 
it's fascinating. Yeah. And, um, do you know, I went off to college and I studied zoology. Now I studied parasitology. <laughs> but <laughs> I've which? always been involved in citizen science. Okay. Um, since 2007, I've been recording Dobbinton's bats around yeah. Limerick as part of Bat Conservation oh, Ireland's survey. Sorry? You just mentioned Dobbinton bats? Or Dobbinton's bats. So it's one of Ireland's bats okay, species. And it's the, it's the river bat. And... Um, I've recorded it in Castle Connell, out in Croom, out on the Grena, and in parts of Clare. But every August to go out with my bat detector and watch for the bats and count their, pre- count their, count their activity That's across cool. the river. And um, they're amazing. Yeah. And um, I've done, excuse me, I've done you know, projects on bumblebees and things like that. And it is, it is so therapeutic. And good for the soul to be out in nature. Yeah. And um, what I've learned about rivers, because, well, I knew something. Like, I mean, I've been a rower and a kayaker for a long time. Yeah. Um, I really had an awful lot to learn in 2020 and get yeah. to grips with what's going on, all the legislation. And um, there's an awful lot being done there. But unfortunately, it's not a lot of people know. If you're into it, yeah. you know. Yeah. But for the general population, um, I think there's so much going on in people's lives. It's, you just can't give your attention to everything. But, um, you know, this is why I'm doing this podcast, because it's an opportunity to talk to people. And if someone, someone else might listen to this and say, okay, all right, this is, this is Limerick. And um, the thing with Limerick, like, I mean, sometimes people don't appreciate that Limerick actually does have nature, and um, but we need to work harder to protect it yeah, and rehabilitate it. Um, we don't want things to stand still, we want things to improve. And are there any projects, I suppose, that the Meg Rivers are working on currently that's coming up down the road? So um, I've been working with a group of people on the deal mm-hmm. for basically saying, okay, what can the, the deal, unfortunately the deal is not in a good state. Um, and where is the deal? So the deal is a sister river to the Meg, actually. Okay. Both rivers rise very, very close to each other in North Cork. And um, basically the Meg is, if you're looking at a map, is slightly more to the east of the deal. The deal is more west. And yeah. um, it flows through um, Milford and Cork, um, then into Castlemahan parts. Um, the Arrow is in Newcastle West, and that's a big tributary system of the deal and it goes into Raki, Lesquiton and then into the estuary. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, but as I said, like we were both actually technically in the same catchment division, mm-hmm. 24, yeah. which is the Shannon estuary um, and we're sister rivers. Uh, so go through quite similar land type as well. But yeah, so we're working with the deal on that and we had this big water blitz um, last weekend. And there was, I think we collected 57 samples. We had wow. probably... 25, if not no more, 30 people out sampling for the very first time, taking these little kits and going out with their families. And Sunday was a fair wet day. <laughs> people <laughs> still got out and took their samples. Yeah. But we've now created a map to say, OK, what's the water quality? And, and it's, it's not too bad for nitrates. We, we don't really have a nitrates problem from the citizen science that we've collected. Yeah. Um, but we do have a phosph- phosphorus problem on the deal. That's fair. And yeah. I suppose we're kind of coming up towards the end of the podcast at the moment. And I'm just wondering is what would you like to see change 
I suppose. I'd like people to be more conscious of their where they're to know where their wastewater is mm-hmm. going. That's right. Um, for people to say, okay, is my septic tank properly connected? Um, for farmers to you know implement the measures that are being asked of them, mm-hmm. you know, buffer zones, um, close periods, don't be spreading outside of the in in the close period. That everyone has to. Everyone has to pull together. Yeah. yeah. Because. It is going to take everyone pulling together and we need to sort of drop the whataboutisms because, yes, absolutely, the council and Irish Water have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, they are working on improving um, the water treatment plants, but it needs to be faster. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's very frustrating for an awful lot of people who work in this space is things aren't happening fast enough and people say, oh, people need time. We're running out of time. Because you were mentioning there about even the degradation status that we have that we could potentially lose that and things like that. Yeah, and that's Europe leaning yeah. on Ireland to get our act together. Um, like other countries didn't go for derogation. Yeah. Um, but we need to. Um, so, and then as well, like, I mean, people just need to realise, okay, water quality is, is, you know, is massively important. Biodiversity needs to be protected. Like, um the All Ireland Pollinator Plan has been a massive success and it's told people what you can do. So, Joe, in terms of our lawns, um, don't be so quick now to make things so tidy. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of fluff around the edges is great. <laughs> that's, that's actually a good one. That's a really good one, isn't it? Um, you, like, I mean, cut a little path through you know, people need to access. I'm not talking about cutting off access. Yeah. But um, if you have a lawn, if you're lucky enough to have a lawn, don't leave, leave an area for biodiversity. Nature travels along corridors. We can't yeah. just have an isolated island and expect that to be <laughs> enough. That's not enough. Now, there is, uh, I bought my wife a wildflower packet from the okay. co-op and she planted a massive square of our garden with wildflower and it looks beautiful. I think it looks absolutely beautiful, but it does look very wild. Is that a good thing? Okay, I'm going to get into trouble now for this. Right. Wildflower meadows yeah. are not in Ireland are not brightly coloured. Okay. So the wildflower, ideally the wildflower seeds you should plant are ones that you've gathered yourself or are that locally sourced. Yeah. If a wildflower packet from a garden centre is too shiny and has got loads of really bright clouds, it's not wildflowers, you're planting seeds. for um, It's like planting something in your garden. Um, We have to be very careful with wildflower seed planting because last year, for example, some of the wildflower seeds had black grass in them, which was massively um, a problem for our tillage farmers because black grass getting into crop will... Yes. Take away yeah. a lot of things. So we don't want to be the introducing species uh, in other invasive species. That makes sense. So are you telling me I can go home and cut it and just take it all away? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it now. And like, I mean, it depends on where you are. Now, put it this way. If you were planting wildflowers in County Clare, I wouldn't be advising it yeah. because, Joe, um, plants at the barn, like, I mean, they're wildflowers. They're there. We need to protect what's there. We don't need to introduce anything. That's right. <laughs> um, but for our own wild gardens, like when I did plant wildflower seeds myself in the past. Yeah. Um, but what I've learned over the years, and you're always learning and we're evolving. I think that's what people sometimes say. But you told me in the past I shouldn't do this. And now you're telling me to do this. 
And it's different. And you're going, yes, because we've learned from what we've done in the past. So we have to be really open minded. Okay, we watch, when we do something, we see, does it work? Doesn't it work? Am I causing something? And then, you know, you evolve, you change yeah. with it. And um, I, I think an awful lot of things that were done in the past for farming, like, and yeah, I would have been part of it. Um, it was done with the best of intention. But that's not to say you don't step back and just go, okay, how is, how is that impacting what's going on around me? We have to be open-minded and be willing to change our ways mm-hmm. and not always do things the way because that's the way they were done. Makes sense. And for wildflowers, um, if you, if you don't, listen, it's absolutely perfectly good to enjoy beauty. Um, but just know where you're getting your wildflower seeds from. And I did a lot of research on that because we have honeybees. And okay. we wanted to make sure that we picked flowers that would suit them and what they wanted to use, I suppose. Yeah, and you see, that's that makes perfect sense. And that's good. Um, the thing with honeybees, and I was a beekeeper as well, um, is that um, there are 99 other species of bees. You know, you've got your 20 bumblebees and you have all your solitary bees. And they're the ones that make up the majority of pollination across our, our um, landscape. And um, they are, some of those species are really fussy. (laughs) They like their native species and they will be particularly attached to a particular flower or a range of flowers, but much, they're not generalists. Honeybees and certain species of bumblebees, the really common, they're generalists. They're not too fussy. But the the more um, delicate species, the rare species, they're they're fussy. They they like particular plants. And if they're gone... They won't, they won't stay in an area. They won't survive. That's fair. Well, Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. <laughs> it feel, I think I mentioned it before. It, f- it felt like a nature documentary of Limerick, where I was getting to learn all about Limerick and the rivers and the nature and things like that. It was really good. There's so much more than what I said, though. And there's, some re- there's an awful lot more people way more knowledgeable than me. But I'm learning. And yeah. I love Limerick. Yeah. And I want people to know what they have, get out and look at it and realize, okay, um, we can, it's, Joe, it's okay, but we can make it better. That's right. Well, thanks, Liz, so much, because I I could stay here talking to you for hours about this, (laughs) because it's so interesting. And you clearly know your stuff, you know, and you're passionate too about what you do. And hopefully, like, people get some information here from this podcast, even, and learn something about what's happening, I suppose, around in our nature. Yeah, and if anyone wants to go to our website and just see, we've done an mm-hmm. awful lot of reports and baseline studies of yeah. what we have on the Meg rivers. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of resources. It's freely available. Go and look what is up. your website? So it's um, www.megriverstrust.ie. That's brilliant. Well, Liz, you are a project worker with the Meg Rivers Trust. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, this podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Public Participation Network. You can find out more information about the PPN at www.limerickppn.ie. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned for more Voices of Limerick. Thank you for listening to the Limerick Community Voices podcast by Limerick Public Participation Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To find out more about the Limerick PPN and to get involved, visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.